This is EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Hello, friends, and welcome to the EIG Community Connection. You're tuning in to a unique and rare radio show. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I invite you to sit back, get comfortable, and unwrap this gift. I'm so excited because this show is really something different. It's a chance to highlight people, organizations, and issues in our community that you may not be aware of, but after our conversations today, you'll be glad you tuned in. Our goal is to educate and to help you feel connected so that you can make a decision about how to use your own gifts. On the show today, we'll be talking taxes. Yes, I said taxes. Now, I know someone out there is saying, yay, way to go, awesome, way to go, EIG, you're doing taxes, awesome. Others, maybe not so much. This isn't a how to do your taxes session, though. We're going to be talking about tax benefits of charitable giving, and I know there are some people out there who can be passionate about that. And then we're going to learn about this new Wisconsin financial literacy mandate and how it affects your high school student. We're going to learn what one local nonprofit organization is doing to bridge the gap and how you may want to help. I'm Jill Economo, and I'm the Director of Community Outreach for Ellen Becker Investment Group. Now, I'm reminding all of you listeners that my name rhymes with Geronimo. Jill Economo. No, I'm not Native American, nor do I live in Oconomowoc. I get asked that question a lot. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, and one of my passions is to meet people and share information. I would say that I am passionately curious about learning new things, which lends itself really well to the show. We want to educate and we want to build relationships with people who are curious to know different ways to marry their passions with their giftedness for the greater good of someone else. And then we want to shine a light on those people and organizations that are making that difference. EIG is passionate about education. We think it's so important, and we host many different workshops and classes and seminars in our education center on all kinds of topics, and we make it available for the community to use, and nonprofits get to use it for free. You can visit our website at ellenbecker.com for information on all that we have going on. Every January, we have the opportunity to start something new. It's a time to gather information and make some decisions on what your year ahead is going to look like. On the last show, we talked about how to define your passion and then how you might use that passion. It's a great way to start the year because it'll help you to define some goals. Another thing people think about at the beginning of the year is budgeting, and a part of that may well be personal giving and a plan for that. So we thought it'd be helpful to give you some tips on tax benefits as it relates to charitable giving. My first guest today is Sandra Geisler, Director of Tax Planning at Ellen Becker Investment Group. She is our in-house tax guru. She just started with Ellen Becker in January, and now we're going to pick her brain so all of our listeners can benefit. I talked earlier about how we do illuminations in our office, so now I'm going to illuminate you, Sandra, as our newest addition to EIG. Such an awesome addition to our already awesome staff. Welcome to EIG and to the EIG Community Connection. Well, Jill, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and be part of your 
one of your inaugural radio shows. Um, I hope I don't bore the listeners too much today with tax. I get really excited about it, as you talked about, one of those people who goes, yay, let's talk about tax. But I certainly understand that not everyone does. So we're going to do our best today to make it kind of interesting. I thought Great. maybe one of the ways that we would uh, start is to kind of talk about some of the options of charitable giving. Okay, that sounds a good place to start. I know for some reason, though, the very idea, for some people, the very idea of taxes elicits a negative response like stress or anxiety. We're all familiar with that saying, the only thing in life that's certain is death and taxes, right? Right. Ben Franklin said that back in 1789. I mean, come on. I know they didn't have the 1040 easy form, but could it really have been that (laughs) difficult back then? But there are others who don't mind taxes and some people who actually enjoy it, like you, Sandra. So that's that's great. It's kind of like a relationship, though, right? You have two seemingly different people, yet when they come together, that's where the real benefit is. You have someone who is, let's say, a saver and someone who is a spender. You have someone in the relationship who is conservative and pragmatic and the other one, maybe not so much. Maybe they live more in the moment. And then you have one who says, oh, I don't know, uh, there's no need to go out for ice cream when we have it at home in the freezer. And the other one says, come on, we're talking Baskin-Robbins here. (laughs) There's 31 flavors, right? Different personalities, but when they come together, they provide the best combination. So let's talk a little bit about how taxes and charitable giving come together for a great combination. So what are some of the options we have available to us? There are so many gifting options available, Jill. We're going to talk about just on a really high level today uh, about some of those. For example, uh, planned giving is an important strategy that we like to use. That's typically looking at your estate and doing estate planning to help uh, give the gifts away that maybe you either couldn't afford or didn't really care to do during your lifetime. Another option is qualified charitable distributions where we have the opportunity to distribute money directly from our individual retirement account directly to the charity of choice. Another really popular strategy that we're seeing lately are donor-advised funds. That's getting to be more and more of a popular uh, strategy, um, and I think will be so even as we look at tax reform in 2018. We have options with regard to charitable trusts and charitable remainder trusts and things like that. I thought maybe today, since this is kind of our first opportunity to talk together, it might be a really good time to talk about really the simplest type of charitable contribution, and that's just our annual donation. Oh, I think that's a great place to start. So what are some of the tax benefits of making an annual contribution? So first of all, we need to understand that a gift to a qualified charitable organization may entitle you to a charitable contribution deduction against your income tax but only if you itemize your deductions. You must itemize in order to take a charitable deduction. Make sure that if you itemize, your total deductions are greater than the standard deduction. If they're not, you're stuck with the standard deduction. This is kind of a big concept, and I thought maybe we'd talk about that in a little bit more detail in our next segment. Okay. But another option, uh, another requirement that I wanted to talk about is when do we take our charitable deduction? A contribution is deductible in the year in which it's paid. So that's an important concept to remember. Putting the check in the mail and dating it December 31st to the charity constitutes payment. If you're making your contribution on your credit card, it's deductible in the year it's charged to your credit card. Mm, Even if 
even if the payment to the credit card company is made later in the year. Hmm. That gives people a little bit of flexibility with with regard to cash flow as we look at year-end contributions. And another important thing to remember with regard to our IRS requirements is that not all charitable organizations qualify for a charitable contribution deduction. You can deduct contributions only if they're made to or for the use of a qualified recipient. No no charitable contribution deduction is allowed for gifts to individuals or other kinds of organizations, even if those organizations are exempt from income tax. So if I want to contribute or pay my neighbor, for example, that would not qualify. That's correct. You'll see some sites that people are using like GoFundMe if the if the final recipient is not a charitable organization, those do not qualify for charitable deductions. Hmm. If you're curious about which organizations qualify, the IRS does maintain a list of those organizations. If you go to their website at www.irs.gov, you'll see an opportunity to look for the charitable organizations that have the actual 501c3 designation. If they're listed on that site, then you will be allowed to take a deduction. Okay. Well, that's interesting to note that not all charitable gifting results in a tax deduction. Are there any other IRS rules that we need to be aware of in order for the deduction to be allowed? Absolutely. So there are limits to how much we can deduct, even if we itemize, but they are very high. So for most people, the limits on charitable contributions don't apply. If the contribution is made to a public charity, the deduction is limited to 50% of your contribution base. So, for example, if you have an adjusted gross income of $100,000, your annual deduction limit is $50,000. If you give an amount in excess of that applicable limitation to the charity in one year, you can carry those deductions in excess over for the next five years. Okay. Wow. That's a lot of information and a lot of rules, right? Right. I'm sure our listeners want to know, does all charitable gifting result in a tax benefit? We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to answer that question shortly. You're listening to EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach for Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm here chatting with Sandra Geisler, who is the Director of Tax Planning at EIG. Before the break, we asked if all charitable gifting results in a tax benefit. Well, Sandra, our in-house tax guru, is going to answer that question for us. Well, I wish there was a simple answer to that. So it's kind of yes (laughs) and no. Charitable donations are a great thing, of course, and they do offer some tax savings. But you really don't save a dollar for every dollar you donate. You often reduce your tax bill roughly 25 cents for every dollar, which of course is still a great little bonus, and we have to remember we do have to itemize our deductions. Okay. That seems pretty straightforward to me. Um, Well, let's talk about how the charitable donations are reported on the tax return and how they actually reduce the taxes that we owe. So to understand the benefit that charitable donations give to your taxes, first you really have to understand how income taxes work. Without getting too boring, I thought it would be really a good thing today to go through that process. It's something that many people surprisingly misunderstand. Hmm. 
When you earn ordinary income from working at a job, you have to pay income taxes on it. We all know that, of course. What many people don't quite understand is how the amount you pay is calculated. So I thought maybe we'd go through a really simple example and look at the difference between somebody who donates to a charitable organization versus somebody who doesn't. So let's just say you're a single person earning $50,000 this year. To figure out how much taxes you have to pay, you have to look at the income tax tables. For 2017, it looks like this for a single person. On income that's earned between zero and nine, roughly $9,300, you pay 10% in tax. So you're going to pay $932 on that first $9,300 of income that you earn. That's but our pretty guy straightforward. Made, right. that's, a, that's easy to get, yeah. But our guy made 50000 So now we have to go to the next tax rate on the table. So for income between 9300 and about 38000 you pay 15% on that. So now our guy's paying an additional roughly $4,300 on that income that's being taxed at that 15% bracket. Again, he's making $50,000. So now we have to move to the next bracket where he's going to pay 25% in tax. That's an additional $4,300 for that bracket. Excuse me, another $5,500 for that bracket. So then to figure up the person's total tax bill, we simply add up all of those numbers from each of the individual brackets, which totals roughly about $10,800 for our guy making $50,000. Wow, that, that seems like a lot of tax, though. Is, is this where we get to the part where we can lower the taxes for this poor guy? Right, exactly. So the most common way to lower your taxes is to lower your income through deductions. The government gives out standard deductions each year on a person's taxes. For 2017, that amount is $6,350 for a single person. How that works is that you simply subtract that deduction from the total amount of income the person actually earned for the year. So this person's income for tax purposes is actually $43,650 if he's taking a standard deduction. So again, we're going to go through that same process of looking at the tax tables, applying the dollars based on the tax bracket that they're in, and find out that the standard deduction saved this guy about $1,588 in tax. Hmm. So does the deduction for charitable giving work that same way? Yes, charitable giving works exactly the same way. Every dollar you donate to a registered charity becomes a deduction on your tax taxes, just like a standard deduction, but again, only if you itemize deductions. So let's say our person above donates, uh, just in round numbers, $5,000 to his church and maybe $2,000 to another organization and another $2,000 to another organization. So he now has a total of about $9,000 in charitable donations. If we add that to his other itemized donations, for example, maybe his property tax or his state income tax, he has total itemized deductions of $16,000. So again, our guy's making about $50,000 a year. We can subtract from that either the 6350 standard deduction or we can subtract his $16,000 itemized deduction. Obviously, we're going to subtract that greater amount. Now, if we take his 50,000, we subtract that $16,000 in itemized donations. Now he only has $34,000 of taxable income. 
we do that same process where we look at the tax table, we look at the different tax rates, we add them all up together, and we find out that he's going to save a lot of money by that charitable donation. Because those dollars were in the 25% tax bracket, those $9,000 of charitable contributions saved him $2,250 in tax because they were taxed at a 25% level. Hmm. Well, that's a pretty significant tax savings for our guy. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, Just wanted to touch on the new tax law that was just passed for 2018. Will that have an effect on charitable giving? So tax reform in 2018 um, is also known as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. It's, It's widely thought that new tax laws could strip away one of the key motivators of year-end giving in the United States, the right to take a tax deduction for the amount you give to qualified charities, again, only if you itemize your taxes. The new tax reform increased the standard deduction for most people. What that's going to mean is that your itemized deduction total is going to have to be significantly higher in order for you to itemize donations and deductions. Time will tell if annual charitable giving decreases with the new tax law. Of course, we all hope not. Hmm. Well, it might seem a little overwhelming for some people, um, all this information. But again, it's it's good information to have as it relates to charitable giving. And uh, certainly you can reach out to Sandra if you have further questions. Um, but any final thoughts on this, uh, on the whole idea of taxes as they relate to uh, charitable giving? Well, I certainly did want to leave you with a final thought, and that is that we don't necessarily give for the deduction itself. It's a, it's a tax benefit that we receive, but it's always better to give than to receive. Absolutely, absolutely. The charitable donation can't really be a prime motivator for charitable giving. The glory of charitable donations is that you give and receive at the same time. So true. So very true. And we want to remember, too, that that you should be motivated by the passion that drives you to give. Absolutely. Right? Very good. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sandra, for helping us understand something that might be overwhelming to some people, including me. (laughs) If you have any questions about anything that Sandra talked about, feel free to call her at our office at 262-691-3200, and she'd be more than happy to give you further information. Jill, thank you so much for having me on today. I hope I didn't make taxes too boring for your listeners. (laughs) Um, And I'm hoping that you'll invite me back. I have so many other things that I want to talk about with regard to to taxes and charitable giving. Uh, There's so many different items that we can talk about, uh, especially planned giving and donor-advised funds and donation acknowledgments. I could go on and on. Um, And, of course, we're always looking for ideas for seminars to have in our education center for the community. So if our listeners are interested in in charitable giving and taxes and all of those kinds of things, please feel free to give the office a call and we'll put something together for you. That's a very good point. Uh, As I've mentioned in the past, our education center that we opened about six years ago, we do have uh, workshops and classes and seminars that we offer to the general public. And if there's something that you would like to learn about or hear about, we're certainly open to uh, different ideas. So feel free to call me at the office as well. After the break, we're going to talk about how you might use your passion to help the Gen Z population. According to a recent study, what is one of the biggest challenges for our Generation Z population?
We'll be back in a moment to find out. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to the EIG Community Connection. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm your host. Before the break, we asked you, what is one of the biggest challenges for our Generation Z population? The answer? Understanding everyday financial matters. Interesting, isn't it? One organization that is helping with this challenge is Secure Futures. My next guest is Brenda Campbell, President and CEO of Secure Futures. Brenda has led Secure Futures since its inception as Make a Difference Wisconsin in 2006. She has years of experience in program development, management, and evaluation in the areas of financial literacy education, workforce development, and child welfare. Wow, that's quite a resume. She was honored as a 2017 Governor's Financial Literacy Award winner, and in 2010, she was chosen as one of Milwaukee's Women of Influence by the Milwaukee Business Journal. And actually, she's in good company because Karen was also chosen as a Woman of Influence in 2013. Brenda's ongoing passion for teen financial literacy comes from the powerful changes she has seen teenagers make in using financial savvy as adults. So welcome, Brenda. Thank you, Jill. I'm super excited to be here. Great. I'm glad to have you here. So we understand that financial literacy is a challenge for this Generation Z population. And there's now a Wisconsin mandate that was signed into law to teach financial literacy in the public schools across the state. So how is Secure Futures participating in that? We are thrilled by this mandate. So what this says is that it is now state law in Wisconsin that school boards need to make sure that students are getting financial education K through 12. K through 12. It's Absolutely. not just high school students. No, okay. it's not just high school students. It's K through 12. And we have some wonderful standards in Wisconsin that were created way back in 2005. And those standards say what, what students need to know by fourth grade, by eighth grade, by 12th grade. And now it's time to make sure that we are teaching them. So it is just incredibly exciting to know that this is now state law in Wisconsin. And you're, you're really empowering high school students, right? We are. And what this mandate allowed us to do as an organization is it, the timing was so perfect here in that uh, just a few weeks ago, the Department of Financial Institutions released a survey that they did statewide. And what they did was they went to every single school district in the state and they asked, what are you doing in regards to financial education. Mm. So how perfect for us, just as this mandate gets signed, we can look at the survey and identify the 111 school districts that have absolutely no financial education now. So that's given us really an opportunity to get out there, uh, figure out which of those districts we can get to quickly, and we stand ready to serve. We have the resources they need. We are a no-cost turnkey program. Mm. And now we know exactly where to focus our efforts to make sure that all of the teens in Wisconsin get something before they graduate from high school. Well, we talked about uh, the Generation Z population and the, the, these high school students and how it's going to affect them. 
Um, why is it so important to teach teenagers? We understand that there, this mandate is for K K kindergarten through high school students, but why are you saying it's so important to teach the teenagers specifically? You know, I see like the easy answer to that question is they are our future. I really yes. believe that smarter spenders and better savers become more productive adults, and that's the future for all of us. So it means stronger communities all of, all the way around. Um, but the other thing that's really critical to know about teens is that that is the sweet spot for financial education. Oh, okay. So if okay. you look at that age 16 to 18, you know, think about it, financial literacy, everything related to finances is relevant. If they don't yet have a part-time job, they are thinking about that. Mm -hmm. if or they hopefully they are. <laughs> absolutely. If they don't have a bank account, they're thinking about it. Credit cards are just around the corner for them. Mm. So we're hitting them when it's relevant. They're eager for the information, but they haven't yet made mistakes. And, you know, that's just such an incredible time to get to them so that we can prevent those mistakes from happening. Because, as you know, you know, once you get started on the wrong foot, uh, a financial mistake made today can lead to years and years of hardship. And actually, an example of that, a personal experience, is that my daughter, after she graduated from college, went to apply for a credit card. And she did not have a credit score. Why? Because she did not have a student loan. She didn't have a car payment. Any of the um, uh, payments that she had throughout college, she just wrote a check for. It really wasn't showing up on uh, as a credit uh, from a credit history standpoint. But when she went to apply for a credit card, it was extremely difficult. And so we learned from that experience. And now my youngest daughter, who is a sophomore at Madison, applied for a credit card. And so now when she graduates, she'll kind of be a step ahead and uh, she'll have a leg up um, in terms of building a credit score, which is so, so important. And those are some of the things that we talk about in, in the program when we're out there teaching the kids. What are some of the uh, main questions that teens have when it comes to personal finance. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Still, when I'm in the classroom, the number one question that I see from teens, no matter what city we're talking about, whether it's Milwaukee or, you know, one of our suburban communities or, or something even, even in northern Wisconsin, the number one question is, what is the difference between a debit card and a credit card. <laughs> and think about how important it is to know that difference. Mm, absolutely. But yeah, you know, so it, it's, again, you know, making sure that they get those basics. But, you know, what I find interesting, too, is that it's also when we think about what teens don't know that they mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And one of my favorite uh, stories, we actually work with a school partner that they do a survey. They do surveys of students as they're leaving high school, you know, 17 or 18, graduating from high school. They survey them again, one year out, three years out, and five years out. And what they find is that as kids are leaving high school, as you can imagine, you know, they're, they're a little like, Overly sure of themselves. Yeah, you know. They, <laughs> no, really? Yeah, they don't like, have everything that they, they think they know everything about exactly. everything? Exactly. And it's like, yeah, I, I think I know everything. I got it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then you see by three years out, they're starting to waver a little bit. Like, okay, wait a second. Maybe I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And here's the funny thing. By five years out, they're pointing their finger back at that school saying, hey, why didn't you teach me everything I need to know about money? Mm -hmm. And so you have to catch them 
when they don't even know that they know that they need to know it. Right. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a tricky, but that's what we do. And unfortunately, I think kids nowadays, generally speaking, certainly not the case all the time, but, um, there's no ownership. There's no personal ownership. Um, many of my kids' friends, uh, are in a situation where they're just given a credit card. They don't see the statement coming through. Mom and dad just pay everything, and there's no personal ownership. And so it's it's difficult for them to really understand the concepts. Um, and it's so important to get them, as you said, at that age. Uh, I mentioned before that education is such an important piece of the EIG philosophy, and we host many different educational seminars and workshops in our education center, but we also provide education out in the field. And one of the things that I do as the director of community outreach is I volunteer for for Secure Futures, and I teach financial literacy in the high schools. So your nonprofit relies on volunteers like myself from the business community to lead classroom lessons. What's unique about having a business volunteer lead these lessons? Oh, my gosh. It's it's so important for the teens. I mean, one is think about what that says to a teen that someone is willing to take time from their busy workday to come in a classroom and make sure that you understand basic financial education you know, I think what it says to teens is that the business community and these individuals care about you mm-hmm. and they want you to succeed. So it sort of reinforces the importance of the lessons. It shows teens that there is a community here that cares about them. But then we also see that these volunteers are sharing their own, you know, professional experience and personal stories. Um, and it's amazing to me that this program resonates With so many different people, it's not just financial sector volunteers delivering this programming. It is people from all walks of life. Some of them will tell us that they got involved because they made every mistake. (laughs) And they they know how painful it is, and they want to help teens avoid that. And others realize just how fortunate they were to be set on the right foot, either by parents or a class in school. And they sort of have this pay it forward mentality. Mm. You know, if I can even help one student, it will all be worthwhile. Absolutely. Well, I've had great experiences with the students I've taught. And I I personally get excited when I see the light bulb going on. You know, the light bulb goes on for a subject that they may have been really struggling with or something that's really difficult to understand. So we know that these classes are really making a difference for our young people. Um, Secure Futures has been teaching financial education in Wisconsin since 2006. What are some of the major lessons and topics that have changed over that time and what has stayed the same? Yeah, well, uh, let me start with what stayed the same, because one of the big lessons that we teach in our Bank Your Future presentation is on compound interest. Oh. And compound interest, in the, and, and that lesson has not changed at all. It is still so important for us to teach teens how compound interest works and how to get started early. I mean, the sooner that they start to save and potentially invest, you know, they have that time ahead of them. And that is the power in compound interest. I mean, at at 16, 17, 18, they have nothing but time. Mm -hmm. You know, for some of us, there's much less time. I've uh, shared that slide, actually, with my 24-year-old daughter, and she was like, wow, that's really, uh, you know, they really see it when it's visual. I yeah. mean, it, just to speak about it maybe doesn't hit them, but when they can see it up on a slide, it's very powerful. Oh, yeah. And, and thinking about what's changed, I mean, look at how technology has changed the way that we do banking. 
Mm. I mean, students, it, it's many of them will never need to know how to write a check. You know, think about that was an important part of the program years ago. Right, right. And now it's a very minor part of the program. Yeah, they sometimes now, look at you like, what are you talking about? You <laughs> mean, I actually get hard copy of something that I just want to go to my phone and, you know, take care of business there. Yeah. So it's all about online banking, online bill pay, and really showing them how these features work and, and the power that they have right in their hands and that smartphone sitting in their hand. And every single student in every classroom we teach has a smartphone. So, you know, that's really where it is right now. And, and they will do their entire banking potentially from a phone. Yeah, I've seen that. In fact, one of my daughter's friends said she was going to Venmo my daughter some money. I had no idea what she was talking about. I mean, I have to ask my kids what what all that stuff is because it's really something. But thank you for that information. That's awesome. Um, We're going to take a short break. But before we do, see if you might know what the device of choice is for our Generation Z population. We'll be back in a moment to find out. You're listening to EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to the EIG Community Connection. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach for Ellen Becker Investment Group, and I'm chatting here with Brenda Campbell from Secure Futures. Before the break, I asked if anyone knew what the device of choice was for our Generation Z population. Anyone? Well, according to a recent article I read, its annual Gen Z study, the smartphone is the epicenter of everything they do. Surprising, right? (laughs) They went on to say that the Gen Zs are millennials on steroids because they're very tech savvy and they're thirsty for knowledge. So how can we satisfy that thirst for knowledge? Answer, education, education, education. We mentioned before how Secure Futures is really having an impact on young people in our community, and I'm happy to introduce to you now a young man who has personally experienced that impact. Jeremy Kane, 24, is a true example of what's working in the city of Milwaukee. After high school, Jeremy went on to college at Lakeland University, and he started his first business, J-Corp Technologies, an IT consultancy. After earning his degree, Jeremy started Crash Course Driver Education Center, a driving certification business on the south side of Milwaukee. And in just a few short years in business, Jeremy has successfully certified over 1,100 youth and adults, and now Crash Course has expanded to two more locations in Oak Creek and Racine. That's fantastic. Jeremy serves on the board for Secure Futures. How cool is that, right? And he actually participated in the education programs as a teen, which he says has helped him to establish the financial fundamentals he needed to become an entrepreneur and help his family. So welcome to the EIG Community Connection, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. So what was it about personal finance that resonated with you as a teenager? So I guess um, just looking back at it, you know, I want to just say everything, but I guess short term immediately was just the concept of a bank account and everything that you could do with it. Um, To be quite honest with you, I was kind of, you know, dumb when it came to financial literacy prior to 
you know, walking into the Secure Futures program in high school. Probably not unlike many others, right? Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, And it's one of those things where when you talk about finances with anyone, especially with teens, you know, their ears go up. They want to know because who doesn't want to talk about money? Right. And know, you know, how do I get more of it or Mm -hmm. what can I do (laughs) to spend it and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of how it was for me in high school. Mm hmm. So how does financial education relate to what you do as a business owner now? It relates to almost everything that I do as a business owner. Um, Crash Course um, wouldn't have started without my family, my mother, and my sister. Um, We have all worked really hard to kind of get to our goals and objectives. Um, But what kind of is happening now or has happened is I look at my financials as my second partner because my mother and my sister, they trust me so much that it's kind of hard to say, okay, do you think we should do this, guys? And they're going to go, look, we trust you. Do whatever you need to do. That's so, great. That's you know, a great position to be in. It is. It is. But also, you know, sometimes people need that reassurance in really knowing financials and understanding all those different concepts of cash flow and credit and retirement savings and compound interest, like you kind of mentioned last segment, plays a huge part on trying to operate a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how, you know, financials play a part in, in, with me every day. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm thinking about mentors. You know, we all know how important it is to have a mentor, either uh, a family member or someone outside our family. Did you have a personal mentor prior to getting involved in the classes through Secure Futures? Um, At that time, I didn't, but I guess it all kind of happened at the same time because once I got involved with Secure Futures, and Brenda knows, um, this is around the same time that I got my first job working at the Milwaukee County Zoo, Um, and that's when I kind of found my first mentor, um, a teacher from Ronald Reagan High School where I attended, Um, and to this day, that's still my mentor. Very nice. So he was the one that that you worked that came into your high school and worked with you with the Secure Futures program. No, this was completely separate. That's why, um, you know, that's why it's so important that financial literacy touches base when you're a teenager, because that's when you're starting to get your first job. So it was just a timing thing. Um, I had my my volunteer come into the classroom and the week after that class is when I applied for my first job and got it. So now it's like, okay, she just talked about a checking account, a debit card and a credit card. Let's see what I do with it. Perfect timing, right? Perfect timing. Yeah. I know we have calls to action after we teach the class and we say, okay, now now what are you going to do? You know, we've gone through all this information. Knowledge is is powerful. What are you going to do with that with that information now? What are you going to do with that knowledge? Definitely. And there's a checkoff list at the end that we we actually ask the kids to go through and say, okay, now what are you going to do? You know, many kids do have a job and sometimes they have direct deposit so they don't even see, you know, what's happening. And so for to to show them step by step the different things that happen, what how much money is being taken out of your check and so that they don't look at their check and go, wait, where did all my money go? I thought I, I made this amount and now I just have this amount. So yeah, I think it's it's crucial for mentors. It's it's so important for volunteers to come in and work with the teens at in a timely way, like Brenda, you were saying before. It's just this is the right time to capitalize on that. So it sounds like you brought personal finance lessons back home to your family, even when you were just a teenager. So can you tell us more about that? How, how has that changed the way your family members think about and deal with money? You know, dramatically, um, it's, it's a complete 180 from when I was little. Um, back when Secure Futures first came in to Ronald Reagan High School, 
um, my dad, every Friday, I used to go with him um, after he picks me up from school. He would have his check from work and we would go to the check cashing store and he would cash his check. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that faithfully almost every Friday with my dad. Um, after Secure Futures, you know, and I kind of told him about, hey, grandma's taking me to go open up my first bank account at MI Bank. Um, you know, he opened up his and to this day. My dad has never been back to a check cashing place. Mm. So you're a mentor actually to your dad. If you think about it, way, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reverse mentoring. You yeah. Know, and it goes both ways, I guess, right? Great. So I understand you do some financial literacy at your driving school. That's kind of unusual. Can you explain how that came about? Yeah, it was kind of just the natural progression. Um, financial literacy is obviously a real big passion of mine because it's one of those things where you can't just learn it and then say, I know. It's almost like a muscle. You have to you know, work it mm-hmm. out. You have to go, okay, I know these things. Now I have to consistently do them for it to work. Otherwise, it'll atrophy. What? Yeah, <laughs> it, just, it just won't work. Um, so on our last day of class for all of our programs, we talk about something that kids love talking about. That's buying a car. Ah. Um, and from that lesson on, it goes into how do I pay for it? You know, we have some kids who who think that you walk into a car dealership and pay for a car with a duffel bag full of cash. Mm-hmm. We have some kids who thinks you put it you put a down payment down with a credit card. Um, the thing that gets them the most, um, the part that we spend a lot of time on is APR and interest rates. Okay. They don't understand that. They go, well, how, why, why are we paying so much if my note's only 150 a month? I can afford that working at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, this is how. Let's break it down. And right. you're going to pay this much more for the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how we incorporate it. So it's well received. The students react favorably to it? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Very good. Wow, such a great example of what's working, right? Thank you so much, Jeremy, for sharing your experience. I appreciate that. So, Brenda, all these things are so wonderful that Secure Futures is doing. Um, Have you had any challenges at all? And if so, what were they and what can we do to help? Yes, we do have challenges. And, you know, first and foremost, think about the fact that we are powered by volunteers. Mm. So we do have a significant need for volunteers. Today we have about 500 active volunteers, and they're delivering programming in schools uh, across the state. We now have more than 100 different schools and community-based organizations that we serve, but we're limited to how far we can expand by the number of volunteers that are available to help with that programming. So, you know, if any of your listeners are interested in joining our movement for financial empowerment, um, this is the time to do it. They can simply go to our website, securefutures.org, and follow the prompts to get involved. It is so easy to be a Secure Futures volunteer. We make the, the whole process as easy as possible. Our training is now accessible online. And there are webinars and in-person opportunities so anyone can get involved. We've been talking today about our education program in high schools, but we also have a second program we call Money Coach, which is financial mentoring for inner city students who are in need of additional supports and resources. So that's a lot of one-on-one coaching, and there are opportunities in that program as well. Great. And then, you know, the the other challenge that we have is paying for this. So we are 100% privately funded. We rely on support from foundations, 
corporations, and individuals. So your first segment was a perfect segue to our call. And, you know, if you're interested in a a tax-deductible donation to Secure Futures, I promise you that we could take that and put it into great use. So... Very good. Well, I do want to say, being a personal volunteer, that it is an, an easy process, very fulfilling, very enriching, and it's very, um, uh, it can be conducive to a very busy schedule, too. You get to pick, you get an email that says these schools are looking for volunteers, you look at what works with your calendar, and you go out and you volunteer. It can be once a quarter, uh, multiple times a quarter, whatever fits your schedule. So I really would encourage you to check it out. So thank you. I want to I want to thank my guest today, Sandra Geisler, the Director of Tax Services at EIG and Brenda Campbell from Secure Futures and Jeremy Kane, our Secure Futures alum. We hope you found today's show helpful and informative. And if you'd like further information about either of the organizations we talked to today or you'd like to contact me regarding our education center, please email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or call our office at 262-691-3200. Let's all try and remember that if we strive to have an impact on someone's life in some way, we ourselves will be impacted in some way, perhaps even more than we ever thought possible. Join us again in two weeks as other inspiring guests share information on how you can make a difference in the life of someone else. Until then, remember, give a blessing and be a blessing. Have an awesome day.